Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The word of God which we hear this morning is from the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 4, taking John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. So far the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. <coughs> Why does the book of Revelation matter? Why is it important? First of all, if I want to assure you that I'm not about to start a series where we go through the whole book of Revelation, that will probably take a couple of years. However, the readings for the season of Easter, starting from last Sunday through to the Sunday before Pentecost, do include select readings from the book of Revelation, and I do believe it will be edifying to look at those particular reason, readings in the next few weeks. Why? Why is the book of Revelation especially suited to the season of Easter, and why is it important to me? The book of Revelation can often be very confusing. Even in our text before us today, what is this? Seven spirits. 
Who is the Alpha and Omega? Is that a reference to the Father or to the Son? The book of Revelation can be confusing. It's also one which, what does it say in verse 1 of Revelation? Which Jesus Christ gave to show his servant things which must shortly take place. Many, many people assume that <clears throat> on the basis of that first verse that most of Revelation is about things to come, about the future. That's not really what it says, but that's the way many people see it. That's the way many people read it. So to, very often it's considered a book that is confusing and is about the future, not really about me, not really about the present. And thus the approach to the book of Revelation is often, I'm sure not you guys, but often one of two things, either to ignore it, well, those are things to come, we'll deal with them, deal with them when they come, or to view it as like a crystal ball, trying to seek out the future in it. Very often, like any crystal ball, then it only reflects your own image, your own thoughts back at you. The real value of the book of Revelation is not what it says about the future, but what it reveals about the present, about our lives now, and about Jesus, the risen Lord and Savior, now. There, is, there are things in there that are confusing, and there are things in there that are yet to come. But there is much that is neither, isn't there? In our own text, we can look at verse 5. What a beautiful verse. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins is in his own blood. There's nothing confusing or futuristic about that, is it? That verse teaches us that Jesus rules now, that he is in control of this earth, no matter what it might look like. That he has washed us in his blood, and therefore we are forgiven and rule with him. That he is the faithful witness, that is the one whom we can trust to tell us the truth. Oftentimes the truth isn't very pleasant to hear, and God's word isn't always very pleasant to hear either. It reminds us of our sin. But it also reminds us that he died for that sin and rose again. It reveals the risen Christ as he is now. It reveals his kingdom coming to our lives. It reveals him ruling in our hearts. The value of the book of Revelation, the real purpose of the book of Revelation is to remove the veil that covers our eyes so that we can see the truth not just the suffering of the present world, but the truth behind it, that Jesus lives and reigns with us. The value of the book of Revelation is to reveal Christ in his glory and majesty and in his kingdom. In Bible class, we're studying Abraham and Isaac. And after the, the birth of Isaac, <coughs> Sarah grew jealous of Hagar and Ishmael and wanted them sent away. God appeared to Abraham and agreed with Sarah that Hagar and Ishmael ought to be sent away. And so Hagar, we find in the wilderness, lost in the wilderness, she sets down her son to let him die there in the wilderness and herself. She goes a, a little ways away and lays down, convinced that God has abandoned her. 
and that she is going to die of thirst right there. God appears to her and reveals that whatever it may look like, he has not abandoned her. That he is with her, that he will make of Ishmael also a great nation. And then he opens her eyes to see that there's a well of water right there next to her. That's what the book of Revelation does for us. When we think that we are dying of thirst emotionally, spiritually, mentally, the book of Revelation opens our eyes to reveal that God has not abandoned us. That we are kings and princes and princesses and queens in his kingdom, and that that living water to quench our thirst, that well of living water is right there to give us strength for the, the week ahead, for the lives that are before us. Jesus is the one who is and was and the one who is coming. That coming of Christ is not a, a future, not only a future hope, it is a future hope, but it's not only a future hope, but also a present reality. When Jesus is described as the one who is coming, it's describing how he is coming to us right now, just as he came to Hagar. When Moses asked God, what name shall I call you? What name shall I give to the children of Israel? God responded, I am who I am. And of course, in the Hebrew, Yahweh, or pronounced Jehovah, or Yahweh, we're not 100% sure of the pronunciation, something like that. That intimate name of God, which stresses the unchanging nature of God, the one whom we can trust to fulfill his promises. When the Jewish rabbis translated the Old Testament into Greek, uh, they translated that name of God as Hakon, the one who is, the one being. And the Jewish rabbis actually expanded it to make sure that the people understood what it meant. And they expanded it to the one who is, and who was, and who will be. Jesus himself took that name as his own. He claimed it as his own when he, he said to the Jews, before Abraham was, I am. And the book of Hebrews gives it to him as well when it says, <clears throat> he, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Right at the beginning of the book of Revelation, we see the same personal name of God, Jehovah God, the unchanging God, the same name given to Jesus almost, but not quite, is it? It's not quite the same in Revelation uh, chapter 4. Because in Revelation chapter 4, it's he who is and who was, and the New King James translates it, is to come. But it's the Greek participle, the present Greek participle, actually there, and therefore it would be better translated, who is coming. We would naturally expect, <clears throat> in that third part, we would expect he who is and who was and who will be. We, we would expect a repetition of the verb to be in the future tense. Yet we have neither the verb to be, nor do we even have the future tense. Instead... We have the Greek verb to come, erchamai, in the present participle, the one who is coming. That title, the one who is coming, is a name that is given to Jesus throughout Scripture. When Daniel sees 
sees the revelation, the vision in Daniel chapter 7 of the vision of the Son of Man who comes before the Ancient of Days. He is called the one who is coming, the same participle, the one who is coming on the clouds of heaven. When the people welcome Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, they quote from Psalm 118, Blessed is he who is coming in the name of the Lord. When John the Baptist is in prison, he sends messengers to Jesus saying, Are you the one who is coming? Martha, when Lazarus was dead and in the grave, confessed, Yes, I believe you are the Christ who is coming into the world. That's just a few examples. You probably go on for a while with all the examples where this title is one that is given to Jesus. And so here in Revelation chapter 1 verse 4, we have that ancient name of God, Jehovah the Lord, the unchanging God, coupled with that title of Christ, which reminds us that he is the promised one, the one who is coming into the world in order to redeem us. This title for Jesus, the one who is, who was, and who is coming, reveals to us that, that that coming of Jesus, as I said before, is not just a future hope, but a present reality. Jesus is the God who does not change and is, was dead and is alive and is alive forevermore and comes to us even now to aid us. That's the whole point, the value of the book of Revelation, to reveal to us Jesus, who is coming to us right now. When you're at a restaurant, and your friend Josh is late, and everyone's sitting around, and <clears throat> someone might say, well, where is Josh? And another one might say, well, he's coming. The word he's coming in that in that sentence means, well, we have to wait for him and we can't eat yet, even though we can smell all the delicious food that everyone else is waiting. We just got to sit here and wait. On the other hand, if it's pouring rain outside, somebody might say the rain is really coming down. It is coming, right? And there the verb expresses not just a thing which is true in the future, but a thing which is true right now. It's that second meaning which is applies to Christ here. He is coming down like pouring rain with his blessings. He reigns among us. He lives and reigns even if we cannot see him. You look at verse 9 of our text. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. John reveals three things there which are our present reality. He is our companion, our fellow companion in these three things. The tribulation. Now that first one is obvious to us, at least to most of us, that we live in the tribulation, what the book of Psalms calls the valley of the shadow of death, right? The insecurity, the worry, the daily struggle, the daily disappointments, the sickness, the weakness, the fears, the death that we struggle with each and every day, the tribulation that surrounds us. That is obvious to our eyes. But the second part, that's the part that we forget. That's the part that we need God to reveal to us. That he is not only our companion in the tribulation, but also in the kingdom. 
That even though it does not look like it, even though we don't have the crowns that we talked about with the, the kids, we do live and reign. That Jesus' king, Jesus's kingdom is coming to us even now with present blessings and with future hope. Psalm 27 verse 1 speaks of this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Such passages are not written for the warm, full light of day when everything is going well, are they? Passages like these are written for the darkness, the sadness, the sorrow. At those times, these passages open our eyes that even though darkness surrounds us, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And because John is our companion in the kingdom, because Christ's kingdom comes to us even now, therefore, we are also companions in the patience of Jesus Christ, the endurance, the waiting. If Jesus' coming was only a future reality, and not also a present reality, we would not be able to wait long. We would not be able to endure. But because we are washed with his blood, because we are kings and queens to God our Father, because we are his adopted son, because he comes to us now to give us strength, to restore us to his kingdom, and to wash away our sins, therefore, we wait with John patiently for the full revelation that is to come. Jesus reigns among us. What does the book of Revelation mean to me? It means that even though I cannot see it, Christ's kingdom comes to me even now and will come on the last day in the fullness of glory. Amen. peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.